Father, I thank you for this morning you've given us. I thank you for your word and that we get the opportunity to look together at what you teach us. Uh, I pray that the words spoken today would be yours and that we would come to grips more and more with our identity, with who we are in Christ. Lord, I love you. And I'm so grateful for the family you've given us that we are adopted as sons and daughters of yours. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, we come to our next line in this series we've been going through of identity crisis. The first week we looked at those identity idols that can keep us from becoming the people God has created us to be. Then we looked last week at the idea that in Christ we are accepted. We are His. This week we're going to turn and we're going to look at a very real issue that many of us wrestle with. And that's one, uh, maybe the, the screens aren't going to work this morning and that's okay. You've got your Bibles. You'll need to be open to Romans chapter 8. Uh, so we'll just, uh, we'll leave that blank. Oh, no, there we are. But when we look at the idea of identity crisis this week, I've been around church my whole life, and I've been a pastor for the past 12 years. And one of the biggest questions that often comes to me and to most others that sit around a church is, well, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. How do I know I'm secure? How do I know I've been forgiven? How do I know I can be free from my past? And that's a hugely important question for us to answer as followers of Jesus Christ. It's why I think it's so important that if you talk to a, uh, to a believer, they need to be able to say beyond a shadow of a doubt that they indeed are secure. Because it's the only way to survive the life we find ourselves in. Apart from Christ, there is much to be afraid of. Uh, I told you, as I shared with the kids, that I don't like hospitals, and I really don't like being sick. And when I go in for tests, I've shared in the past that uh, I have some stomach problems. And when those flare up, since I was 12 years old, every time I go in for a round of tests, it's a scary thing for me. Why? Because since I was 12 years old, I've been told eventually it will turn into stomach cancer. Now, that's something they do to scare you to make sure you do what you're supposed to do. But there's also a reality behind it that says that is always a possibility. And the fear sits there. And it can grow at different times. But if I am secure in who I am in Christ, sickness, death, sin do not rule over me. Yes, I get sick. Yes, it is a struggle. But it won't kill my joy, and it certainly won't keep me from being a son of the Most High God, adopted as a member of his family. I know I am secure in him. My body is fading away, as are yours. We get older. We suffer from aches, pains, and the fact that we're getting older. But if we understand who we are in Christ... It changes how we look at the world, and it changes how we interact with one another. And I want to go back to those statements that Mark Driscoll makes that I've been repeating each week. You aren't what's been done to you, 
but what Jesus has done for you. You aren't what you do, but what Jesus has done. What you do doesn't determine who you are. Rather, who you are in Christ determines what you do. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this morning that your past does not define you. There is only one part of your past that should define you. And that is the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, were adopted as sons and daughters of His, received the Holy Spirit, and were invited to live a life hid in Him for all eternity. That moment changes everything. So when we get to Romans chapter 1, we get the chance to look at what it all means. How do we know we're secure? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know my past doesn't have to hang with me for the rest of my life? Well, let's start with verses 1 and 2, shall we? Therefore, Paul takes a breath. If you've been following along, I haven't gone to, someday we will get through all of Romans and we'll spend years there. But as you've made the progression through Romans, Paul has explained very clearly what it means to know Christ. And he's just discussed the issue in chapter 7 of dealing and wrestling with sin. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And why don't I do what I want to do? And he gets to the conclusion there. And he begins, he didn't write, okay, number 8, chapter 8. This is something that was added later. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't need to say anything more. This is what we need to know beyond everything else. In Christ Jesus, you are not condemned. Now, condemnation is a legal word. If you sit before a judge and you have broken the law, you will be condemned. Condemnation doesn't just mean we are guilty, but it means we are not only guilty, we are subject to punishment. Okay? Sometimes we like to think of one and not the other. We are easily willing to admit, I've been guilty of sinning. But we don't want to admit, apart from Christ, we are destined for punishment, for hell, for death of the soul for eternal suffering apart from God. Therefore, condemnation is a scary word for those outside of Christ. It means there is no hope. But there is now, for those of us in Christ, no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life Set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of death. You see, what Paul likes to explain is that we are going, and we'll get into this more, but we are controlled by one of two forces. We're controlled by the law of the flesh, as as we heard in Annie's uh, translation, or the, the law of sin at work in us. So what's that mean? What does it look like if we're controlled by our sinful nature, if we're controlled by the flesh? Well, I like that they use the word flesh. That's the the direct translation of the Greek. And, And what that basically means is what your body wants, you give it. Okay? What might that look like? Well, you know, Paul was 
a very gifted legal mind, and he didn't like to leave a lot of things to chance. So in Galatians chapter 5, he gives us a very painful and honest look at what a nature controlled by the flesh would look like. And he says these things, and these might make you squirm. That's good. They should. We should not want anything to do with these. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You're not under the law of the, of the flesh. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Okay, most of those were like, well, yeah, we're not going to do any of those. Except we already talked about the idols we can put in our own lives today. So be careful. Hatred. Ooh, that one might be a little tougher. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Humans absolutely love to be in control, don't we? I believe wanting to be in control is the reason so many men like to drive cars. Because at least when we are behind the car, no matter how bad the other drivers are, we have this little spot of land that's ours. And I can do with it what I want. I can go as fast as I want, not really in Hong Kong. But we like the control. That's why if I am in the car, I am driving, not my wife. Me. I want to drive. I want to be in control. And some of you are like, yep. Or even if we sit at home and you want to watch TV, who gets the remote? Whoever's in control. Right? Much more so. Those apart from Christ have decided, have made the choice to give control of their lives to the sinful nature, to the flesh, to that which is self-promoting, self-glorifying, and ultimately leads to death. There is no hope in a life lived for self. It leads to dissension, to faction, to discord, to jealousy, to rage, selfish ambition, debauchery, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred. It leads to a sinful life apart from the life God has given us and invited us into. You see, we can make the choice to live for ourselves, controlled by the flesh, controlled by the sinful nature, saying, This is all there is. I've got to do everything I want to make me feel good because this is it. Or we can live in the reality that there is more. So you go back to what Paul says in Romans, and he talks more. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by our flesh, by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And he, so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature or according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, to which I say, wow, that 
is an amazing truth. So let's break it down. What does it mean the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature? Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot save ourselves. We can try. We can do everything in our powers to do what the scriptures say is build a kingdom here on earth to make sure we're secure, to make sure we're stable, financially uh, confident that everybody's taken care of, that uh, we're happy, that we look right, that we feel right. But you see, our own personal nature is not enough. It cannot and it will not save us. But God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man. It doesn't say as a sinful man. Jesus did not sin. Please don't mistake what this says. Jesus did not sin, but he took on the form of a human being. And as in the likeness of sinful man, he became a sin offering. He carried our sin. And he went to the cross, punished for our fleshy decisions, punished for our choices to sin. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be met partially in us, right? No. Look at this word right here. Fully. That is an amazing word because what that means, when we look at this idea of security, that word fully changes everything. Because when you are in Christ, the righteous requirements of the law have been met fully in us through Jesus Christ. We can't save ourselves. We can't suddenly flip a switch and make all the right decisions and earn our way to God. It's not going to happen. And that's a wonderful thing. Because I make bad decisions, and so do you. But in Christ, as we discussed last week, we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So when God looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ, through what he has done, we are seen as righteous. Righteousness has been, fancy word time, imputed to us. It's been given on our behalf through and to us through the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done. We didn't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But by God's grace, through the amazing sacrificial work of his son, Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. And there is security there. What's all that process called? Well, it's the idea of justification. The exact opposite of condemnation is you've been justified. If condemnation means you are guilty and you will be punished, what does it mean to be justified? It means to be legally declared righteous. It means you have been declared righteous, not by acts of your own, but you have been declared so because of the work of someone else. That someone else is Jesus Christ. You've been justified. 
You have received grace. You have received forgiveness. You have received the gift of life for all eternity. Not because you earned it, but because God in His great and infinite love gave His one and only Son as a propitiation, as a sacrifice, as a payment for your and I sins. That we might have life according to the Holy Spirit. It's the opposite of condemnation. We no longer are a slave to our sinful ways. We no longer have to live bound to the brokenness of sin. When I was younger, uh, I made choices to walk away from the Lord. Uh, I decided that having grown up in the church, I'd seen a lot of what church was like, and I, I wasn't real interested. Uh, and uh, I also decided that girls and fun were far more important to me. And so while I did all the right things in the right settings, privately I, I had made choices that were directly against what God's Word taught. And over time, it affected me. Over time, I began to keep giving more of my life back to the power of sin. I had little desire to be in Christ. I had little desire to follow His ways because I wanted what made me feel good. I wanted what was good in the moment. I thought that I wanted to live for right now and that that was enough. But the interesting thing was, the further I walked away from God, the unhappier I was, the less content I was, the less secure I was. I began to be so paranoid of what everyone else thought of me that I would lay in bed thinking about just that. What do people think of me? I wondered how I could get everything I wanted out of life but still maintain this false facade that I was okay and I was good enough over here. And I had begun to try to figure out unknowingly in my own mind how I could save myself because I'd betrayed the truth of God and accepted the lie that said I was the most important person in the world. And those decisions affected everything. But you see, God wasn't done with me. While I had professed early on that I would love him and follow him, I had chosen to walk away from him. But God in his great love loved me enough to invite me back and use a series of consequences that were so painful I didn't think I could bear to live through it because one day I'd gone off to university and my dad called me and said, Mike, I'm coming down. We have to talk. My dad had found out about the other Mike and as the pastor of the church and as my father, he came because he wanted to talk to me. And he confronted me. He said, have you done this? And I said, yes. Didn't figure I could lie because, well, if he was there, then he already knew I'd done it. So lying seemed out of the question finally. The next weekend, my mother called. You already know I have a good relationship with mommy. My mom called in tears. She says, is it true? I said, yeah. I had no desire to follow the Lord if this was how people were going to act. 
And she said, well, I'm going to pray for you. She came down a couple weeks later. And in that process, the Lord began to stir in my heart and draw me back to his word, actually to Romans 8 and Romans 7. And in the process, I just prayed, Lord, how can I go on? How can I follow you when I have done this to your people, when I have made mistakes and choices that say it's, it's my life, not yours? How can I be redeemed from that? You know, I've hurt my testimony, and that's true, I had. And I remember reading Romans 8 and being told I didn't have to be afraid anymore. Because for over a year, I had been afraid that eventually I would, it would catch up with me. My partying ways, my disobedient ways would catch up to me. And when my mom showed up, the last thing in the world I wanted to see was my mother. Because I knew that then I was going to have to deal with the reality of who I'd allowed myself to become. Because I was following my sinful nature apart from living in the Spirit. And she looked at me. And we sat down at a famous American restaurant called Eaton Park. Not a particularly fancy place. And I didn't have any appetite. I drank a Sprite. And she said, have you dealt with it? And I said, I have confessed it, yes. I've been forgiven. I've made the adjustments in my life not to follow that pattern again. I know I have been forgiven, but it hurts. And she looked at me as only my mother can and said, good. It should hurt. But don't let it define you. You have sinned. You have fallen short. But God, in his great rich blessing, is not done with you yet, Michael. And then she looked at me again, and my mom loves asking questions. And she asked, will you learn from this? And then will you allow it to be a testimony to others of who God is? I hated that she was right. But she was. And I will continue to spend the rest of my life trying to give away as much grace as I can because I am secure in Christ. I walked away from him and he invited me back. He invited me to live in the presence and fullness of his Holy Spirit when I didn't deserve it. But so often we get to that point where we realize our sins have caught up to us. And we say, I can't go on and just walk further away from him. And that's the exact opposite of what the scriptures invite us to do. If we are in Christ, we can live according to the Spirit. And when we live according to the Spirit, it changes everything. And you want to know what happened to my life next? Galatians 5. Instead of getting caught up in all the things I wasn't supposed to, I couldn't wait to live and give away peace. I wanted to be patient with people, and I'm not patient about anything. I've realized that as I began growing in Christ, I saw people through his lenses instead of mine and had a desire to be kind. People that were abused and and judged unfairly, I wanted to go after and just hug them. I'm still learning about what it means to be good and, and faithful. But you see what happens when we say, Lord, I, I can't do it. I have followed my own ways for far too long. Take my life and let it be wholly consecrated, Lord, to Thee. When we realize that our adoption is secure, when we say, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, search me and know my heart, 
and then we allow him to begin to refine us, what comes out of us moves from the first half of Galatians 5, 19 through 26 into the second half. We begin to live out the fruit of the Spirit. You will not do these things apart from Christ. You will for a season maybe, but not for long. In Christ, led by the Spirit, you'll be amazed to see a spirit of love in you, even for people that don't deserve it. A spirit of joy, even in situations that are far more painful than you thought you could endure. You can sit down and say, for this we have Jesus, and do so honestly. You can go to bed at night sleeping peacefully, and you can give away that peace to others. You can be patient with people, understanding that God's at work at them too, just maybe not at the same pace as you. You can be kind, good to others, and faithful, gentle. You have self-control. Maybe you don't say everything you want to say. Maybe you don't do those things. You get on the internet, you see on a web page something you shouldn't be looking at or someone, you don't click on it. The Holy Spirit is empowering you to live out self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature, the flesh, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. You see, he also gives us a very stern warning right at the end. He says, the sinful nature has been crucified in us, but be careful. Don't get conceited. It can sneak in if you let it. The devil's always looking for a foothold. But we are invited to keep in step with the Spirit. When I taught in China twice a year, or the year I was there, two times they had a week where you didn't have to teach. It was great as the English teacher. Why? Because all the students went out for military exercises. And this was a mainland private school. And it was amazing because they would fill up a football pitch. And they would practice walking in step, one with another. And it was complete and total unity. They were walking step by step, exactly as the beat or the commander, whatever he was called, told them to do. They were in step, one with another and with their leader. But I wonder about us. Are we walking in step with the Spirit? Do we walk in step with Him or do we tell Him what we expect Him to do in our lives and in the lives of others? You see, as you move on in in Paul's words in Romans 8, there's another question that comes and it's that question of control again. Because you want to be secure, you have to understand control. You've been justified We have been saved by grace through faith. We have been justified. It's the little acronym that kids are taught, just as if I had never sinned. The righteousness has been given to me through Jesus Christ. It's not my own. But the journey now, one of being a disciple, one of sanctified living, one of spirit-filled living, sanctified is a way of saying being set apart for God, means that that choice is always before us of who will control my life. And when you look at verses 6 through 11, the question is very bold. And it says, the mind of a sinful man is death, 
But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. When your mind is controlled by the sinful nature, by your flesh, it will just lead to pain, to death, to suffering. When it is controlled by the Spirit, it leads to life and peace. So the look in the mirror question at this point is, what kind of life are you living? Is it one of life and peace? Or is it one of discord, dissension, hatred, anger, malice, deceit? All of those things that point us exactly in the wrong direction. The law of the flesh does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You can't save yourself. You can't just say, I want to do this. We need the Holy Spirit. We don't like that word, submit. We do when we tell others to submit to us, right? That's why husbands always want me to read Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands. They just forget to read the rest of the chapter. Members, submit to the authorities in the church that God has placed over you. Citizens, submit to the authorities that God has placed over you, even if they're making horrible decisions in your local, state, and federal governments. We're not given the choice. We're told to be submissive. It's interesting, isn't it? That a life in the Spirit is is not one of control. It's not one of telling. It's one of obeying and surrendering. It's one of submissive nature. And it starts, you will not submit to anyone else if you do not first surrender and submit your life to Christ. And when you do that, we are included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed in Christ and accepted him into your life, you are marked with a seal. What's the seal? The Holy Spirit at work in you, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, that's a powerful two verses there that look at that and say, when you have been saved, when you have been redeemed, You've been justified and you've been given the Holy Spirit to work in you, to guide you, to teach you, to convict you of sins, to lead you to a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. That is the life that the Holy Spirit will guide you toward. Okay? When you do that, you are led by the Spirit. You are submissive to Him. And it's a divine paradox, because as we submit to him, you know what happens? We feel more free. The second part of the story is, after I had dealt with the sin in my life and and surrendered my life to God, I felt, much like Pilgrim in the famous tale, Pilgrim's Progress, that I had been completely set free. It was amazing because I couldn't get enough of telling people about how God had changed my life and how he continued to be at work in me and what I was learning. And I've tried to do that ever since, to ask people, what's God teaching you? It's so important to me. I want to know what God is teaching us. I want to know how the Holy Spirit is guiding you. It might be to take a step of faith and following him into something that is outside of your control. Well, that's right where he wants you. It might be as he makes you 
into a person that is marked by gentleness and humility rather than strength and aggression. Or it might be that for the first time in your life, when you say, Lord, here's my life. I know I've been justified. I know you've forgiven me. I know I'm righteous through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I will be led by your spirit. I'll submit. I know finally that I'm secure. That what other people think of me, that how much money I have, that how much gold, silver, or status I have does not define me. I know that for the first time in my life, my past does not define me. Why? Because if a deposit is guaranteeing our inheritance, who usually is given an inheritance? Members of the family, right? Well, if you live according to the sinful nature, bad news, you're going to die. And die there is not a subtle thing. It means eternal damnation. As I told you last week, that is hell. There is no way around that apart from Jesus Christ and his work. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you can't do it on your own, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, to which we should all be able to say, "Uh uh-huh. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. Notice that word permanent. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You have been set free by the work of the son. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. When I came face to face with the degradation of my soul because of the sin I had chosen to commit, to walk away from the Lord, it was a horrible, horrible thing. Was I was exposed to the grace of him that said, you have been forgiven and set free. Go and sin no more. I felt like the woman that Jesus had said that to. I had been freed. Now, I have sinned again, and I confess those sins to the Lord. And if I've hurt others, I do everything I can to confess that as well, as we all should. But our status is secure. We can approach God, Almighty God, as Abba. The easiest, best, closest translation we can do as English is like, Daddy. Just as my daughter crawled up into my lap and hugged me, knowing that she is secure in the arms of her dad. In all circumstances, we who are in Christ can approach the throne of grace as righteous sons and daughters of His. The Spirit Himself goes before us, testifies, proclaims with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. We receive the inheritance that a kid, a child gets. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs, fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We've been adopted into that family. We who are in Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, 
in order that we may also share in his glory. I am not proclaiming you today that life will be easy. I am not proclaiming you that there will not be obstacles and temptations and suffering. There will be. Because God sees fit to allow us to suffer. But in that suffering, we can learn from it. It can teach us to lean wholly on Jesus' name, relying on the empowerment of the Spirit, as we'll continue talking about next week, and knowing that our identity for all eternity is wrapped in Him, identified with the person of Jesus Christ. Because as much as it might be painful to suffer here on earth, it is temporal. It is temporary. It does not last. But our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God, lasts forever. The amazing thing is, we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of our past identifying us. We don't have to be afraid of what man might say. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are God's children who are in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. When I looked at my mom and I said, I am so sorry. She said, oh, Mike, I know. She says, you'll always be my son. I will always love you. I just want you to follow the Lord and where he leads you. You see, my mom and my dad taught me about grace. Taught me that my past is a painful thing. But God identifies us through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we've been adopted as sons and daughters, justified through him. And we are led by the Spirit. We, in Christ Jesus, are secure. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you that I have been adopted into your family. I thank you for your rich love that is lavished upon us, that you gave us your Holy Spirit to guide us each step of the way. Help us to be receptive. And Lord, I pray that our lives would be a testimony to a life led by the Spirit, that others may see you in us and rejoice. In your name I pray. Amen.